0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1127 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want or don't need. And it can even negotiate better deals on those that you want to keep. Today's podcast will be myself and Ben Ladder of a Step Back. Ben is a longtime friend of the podcast, always fun to talk to him. And Ben will be right with us shortly on the show. But first, a look at Wednesday's game between the Hawks and the Pacers. First of all, it's a 7 o'clock tip-off, just a PSA there, an early tip in Indiana. So keep that in mind when you're trying to watch the game and uh, don't arrive too late to uh, join the tip as it is in progress. But beyond that, the big news of the day is pretty optimistic and that is that Cam Reddish is questionable with the wrist sprain that he suffered over the weekend. That is a pretty encouraging situation because uh, he may not play in this game. Obviously questionable means questionable. But the fact that Cam has not already ruled out is uh, pretty darn encouraging overall. And I kind of was bracing for a, not a long-term absence, but certainly a multi-game absence potentially for Reddish. And he may be able to play in the first game back after that injury took place. The Hawks will be without Bogdanovich and Hunter and Kongwu, so they're still short-handed in this matchup. But Reddish, uh, at least being close, and he was able to do some shooting on Tuesday, according to McMillan, who called him day-to-day, by the way. So we'll see on Wednesday. He's a true... Game-time decision for Wednesday's game, it appears, but still a pretty optimistic um, timeline for his return. The Pacers will be without Justin Holiday, old friend of the Hawks, as well as TJ Warren, who's been out for the entire season so far. But the big thing for Indiana is that they're uh, listing Miles Turner as questionable for Wednesday's game, and Turner is their best defensive player, their anchor on defense, and um, obviously they'll, they'll be much worse without him if he's unable to play in this game. And keep an eye on that throughout the day. Um, other injury stuff quickly before we turn it over to Ben. Uh, Nate McMillan told Sarah Spencer of the AJC that Okongwu will be going to College Park in the next couple of days to start playing five-on-five in practice. That's a pretty encouraging sign there. Um, TBD on whether he plays in games anytime soon for College Park, but he's inching closer to being a full participant in practices, which is obviously the next step that he has to check off of the checklist. And then Nate also said that Hunter is doing mostly cardio work at this point in time after the wrist surgery, uh, doing some work with his off hand, but nothing on the primary hand that he's, of course, rehabbing after that surgery at this point in time. Um, for the purposes of this podcast, there's no official line I've been online just now for the Hawks and Pacers because of the injury uncertainty, I would imagine, because of Turner and Reddish even. Um, I've seen a couple of sentiments that the Hawks could be underdogs in this game, uh, according to the market at this point in time. It could be a coin flip, I would say, coming into this game. If the Hawks are uh, have Reddish and the Pacers don't have Turner... I'd imagine the Hawks will be favored in this contest by the time it starts. And Turner, um, you know, not, it's not a shot at Cam. Turner's a better player than Reddish, so the big swing in the betting line could be uh, Turner's actual status, but. Uh, it's a coin-flippy kind of game, a nice test for the Hawks. Indiana is uh, actually at rest advantage in this game, but of course they're playing at home, and they've been playing reasonably well in their home ballpark this year, and of course the Hawks are short-handed. You know, actually the, the absence of holiday could matter a little bit for Indiana. They've been pretty healthy this year, with the exception of TJ Warren being out, but we'll keep an eye on that throughout the day, we'll have a full podcast, breaking it down, as we always do on the show, and please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. I always say that, but I, I definitely mean it, and it, it does us a, a great deal of service if you can go ahead and enjoy the podcast, and also. subscribe and tell a friend about the show all right that's enough on the Indiana game again it's coming up on Wednesday we'll have a podcast after the game without further delay here is myself and Ben Ladner I am joined now by longtime friend of the podcast Ben Ladner is back hello sir how are you I'm doing well how are you thanks for having me on I'm well uh thanks for being here uh I said this before I brought you in but we actually recorded this on Monday night it's not gonna run until I think Wednesday morning or Tuesday night one of those but uh sometimes real life gets in the way and Ben is flexible and I appreciate him joining the podcast as always. And, you know, there's a lot to get to. It's also kind of a weird time when uh, the Hawks have this three-day break in between games, which is the first time all year. So uh, it's rare, Ben, as you know, uh, mid-season to be able to like record a podcast and like and then bank it for a day and not be too worried. Yeah. And that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah.
1: And it's sort of like Thanksgiving actually is one of the only times you can kind of do that where, you know, nothing's going to change. Everything's kind of static. You can write down that a team is fifth in defensive rating and you don't expect it to drop to eighth the, you know, the following day. So everything's kind of stable right now with the Hawks, but uh, at least in terms of the schedule injuries and other things, not quite so much.
0: Yeah. Obviously lots of uh, fog hanging over the team right now with all the wing injuries in particular. And I spent most of yesterday's podcast talking about how they're going to handle that. And uh, we'll get into that I'm sure. Uh, But I want to take a step back because I have not talked to you at least in this form during the season um, you know, 21 games in, the Hawks are 11-10, and 10. slow start, hot recently until a weird loss, but not a, not a terrible loss, but a weird loss on Saturday against the Knicks. Uh, what have you thought about this Hawks team so far? Because I think nationally it's been interesting to me in anyway to kind of hear people talk about them, knowing that they're not like in the grind the way that I am and there's lots of context. But I wonder what you uh, have been seeing.
1: Yeah, I think... I still kind of lean toward my opinion of them going into the season, which was that they were one of the four or five best teams in the Eastern conference. Obviously their record does not reflect that. And I think their play probably hasn't reflected that either. I don't think they've been one of the five best teams in the East so far, but I still think on talent and kind of the way the team's trending right now, they still kind of have that in them if they can get healthy. And that's obviously been the big question for them for you know, almost the entirety of Trey Young's career. And certainly this time that they've been uh, reasonably good. So I I still think like all things being equal, everyone at full strength, you know, um, I I still think they're probably about the, like the level of team they showed to be in last year's playoffs and be a little below that. Um, But, you know, certainly 11 and 10 is not the kind of record that you look at and say, Oh, that team's a juggernaut, or they belong in the conference finals discussion. I think they still need to earn that. I don't think they've, They've quite earned that distinction this season just yet. Um, but like I said, I can still kind of get there. And I think the way things are trending right now, given where their offense was two weeks ago, where their defense was two weeks ago, I think you certainly have to look at them and say they're in a better position than they were. And I think you just have to hope that that trajectory will continue to kind of carry forward, which will obviously be made more difficult by these injuries to basically all of their wings. It seems like, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, with this hot run recently, they're actually, at least as we've this, they're under the top 8 or 9 in net rating, and that kind of tells a pretty favorable story. They have some lopsided wins, and I've pointed this out a couple of times, but, you know, it's kind of, it's tough, it's so early, and the sample size is limited, but they have no bad losses. Like, they've had some games where they, where they didn't play well. Like, they got killed in Philadelphia, for instance. They got, you know, they lost by a bunch to Utah at home, but um, they've only lost to either really good teams or they've lost on the road to teams that are, like, respectable. The first time they actually had a loss that was at home to a not great or at least a not fantastic team was actually this last loss to New York. So if you want to go, like, you know, line by line, which we we will not do on this podcast, um, they have not had too many, like, terribly worrying performances. It's just that they had to kind of find their defense and... I've talked about it a lot, but that's kind of the big thing for me. Like, I wonder if you agree with this, but my, my general operating assumption is that they're going to be good on offense to some level. Like, right now, they're in the top five again with this recent run. And Trey Young, as long as he is upright and has some sort of weapons around him, They'll be good on offense. It's just kind of how good, or how mediocre, or how bad, essentially, are the three options for their defense. And if you look at the the winning streak, a lot of attention was placed on the offense, but really it was the defense that kind of like found itself a little bit. Obviously, Capella is the biggest part of that. But does that does that sort of track with you as like the defense is kind of dictating how good this team actually is?
1: Absolutely, I, I think of it kind of the same way. That's really the barometer. Like you said, if they're the 28th defense, 27th, which they were a little while ago the team's not going to be very good. And as a result, you saw them lose what six games in a row or whatever it was when they couldn't get a stop. When they're the 20th defense as they kind of are now. Or I guess recently they've been closer to like a middling to fringe top 10 level of defense. They're beating teams and you know, you saw them win six or seven in a row. Part of that was the schedule kind of doing them some favors. They were able to find their footing against some not great teams. Uh, But I think also part of it is, is just you know, getting guys kind of on the same page, Capella working his way back and looking a little bit more comfortable. I'm still not sure like quite how how confident he feels playing on that Achilles or what the degree to which that's limiting him right now. Um but I think as the season goes on, presumably the more he plays, the the more comfortable he'll get with that. And I guess the healthier he'll he'll be, unless there's a setback. Um, but yeah, I, I think the defense is, has always kind of been the barometer for this team because it's the biggest unknown. Like you said, with the offense, it really doesn't take much to build a high end offense around Trey young. And I think even with this team in it's depleted form right now, they're still going to have a pretty good offense as long as Trey young's on the floor. And again, we're kind of seeing that, that massive disparity with him on versus off. They're really good offensively with him on the floor this year. And this is, I think the biggest disparity of his entire career when he goes to the bench. So um, you know that's that's always that that's kind of the formula for this team. They're an offense leaning team, and it is like you said, just about how how much the defense can kind of pick up the slack on the other end of the floor. The closer they are, I think, to average, the better. Um, in unless they're above average, in which case, I think the closer they are to like the top ten, um, that's kind of their ceiling to me defensively. But when you're as good an offense as this team can be, your ceiling doesn't really need to be. That much higher than, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th for you to kind of get into that upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, or at least to be knocking on the door.
0: Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Uh, I want to ask you about Treyong Young in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Right now, the job market is filled with once in a generation talent. So how is your organization going to put together an all star team? Your front office needs an all star roster and you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, which is a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible, because you can do it all from attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now, and they can also partner with you on every step of the hiring process to find talent with the skills that you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. And with Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor the job post, according to Indeed data. And candidates you can invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those they can only see in the search, according to Indeed data. Get started right now with a $75 sponsor job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked on. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash on. Indeed.com slash on. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. feast this is something that's totally delicious and feel good about it, one slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most Built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built bar. Go for a raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built bar is a great option for when you're hungry. Go for a built bar or two. Share some at your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a built bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check out the site often. And for now, you can go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, fifteen percent off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50 percent off at built.com. All right, Ben. Let us uh, continue here. I, I want to ask you about Trey, just because you got into kind of the on-off splits, and that's been a perpetual thing that I know you and I have discussed even multiple times on this podcast, <laughs> uh, dating back years about how they struggle with him off the floor. But um, I got a bunch of questions. Talked about it a little bit yesterday by myself even, but. Um, about just how well Trey is playing. He's he's the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week, for one thing, so a little bit of national attention on him. And um, it was kind of funny to me, and I wonder if you heard or saw the same thing. There was a little bit of buzz that he was, like, quote-unquote, struggling early in the season when he really kind of wasn't. um, Like, he wasn't getting in the line as much, which I think was obviously the uh, easy – talking point narrative to grab because of the of the rule changes and him in particular being targeted by those rule changes in some ways. But, you know, even before this recent hot run, his numbers were generally fine. And then with this hot run, he now has arguably his best numbers of his career so far in terms of uh, the overall factor in defense and all of that stuff as well. Um, what have you made of what he's done? Because, you know, at, with, with this run, he, he's getting more attention, but it feels like at least to me, he was kind of already there and it's more, I guess, confirmation of just how good he already has been. But uh, what do you, what have you seen from Trey so far?
1: Yeah, I I think what you're talking about earlier is exactly right. There was, if I'm putting on my, my cognitive science hat, which admittedly is not very well-worn or very, you know,
0: (laughs) not not very (laughs) reputable. Me either. Me either.
1: But still, if I'm doing that, um, I think there was probably a little bit of confirmation bias at play with people, you know, Hey, Trey Young's going to be really affected by the, by the rule changes. Oh, look, his free throw rate has dropped. He must be struggling. And then with that sort of like a reverse halo effect where, Oh, well, if his foul drawing is down, then the rest of his game must also be struggling in these other areas, which like you said, wasn't necessarily the case. And his free throw rate is down and he hasn't gotten to the line as frequently as he has in recent seasons, as one would expect based on the rule changes that were made, or I guess the, the changes in interpretation and uh, adjudication of the rules but you know, like all great players, I think, like James Harden is starting to do, like Damian Lillard is starting to do, like Jimmy Butler has kind of done all season, these great players are finding a way to still be successful offensively without the benefit of those cheap fouls. You know, for Trey, it's it's just been making more shots from the field. It's been being better from mid-range, it's been being better at the rim and, and just kind of rounding out the rest of his game. And as always, he's gonna be one of the best pick and roll passers in the NBA. And one of the the best shot creators in terms of setting up layups and threes, which I think is maybe even an underrated part of his playmaking is just how profitable the shots that he sets up are, you know, it's a lot of corner threes. It's a lot of layups. It's a lot of kind of dump off passes for wide open dunks. And so you're creating a lot of really, really not only open looks, but efficient open looks in ways that a lot of guys in the league aren't necessarily doing, but I think he individually has, has been, the offensive engine that he's kind of shown to be over the last couple of years, kind of the player I expected him to be, maybe even a little better than I expected him to be, at least relative to the league. You know, I was doing my my quarter season, all NBA and awards stuff earlier today and kind of, you know, sketching out some of some of that research. And like, I think he's a candidate right now for first team, all NBA guard, like as the second guy with Steph. And I, I don't know, like if I would solidify that hundred percent right now, but I think he's in that discussion Partly just because other guys haven't been as good. And he has, and he's kind of maintained his level of play from last season. And I, I still think there's kind of room for him to get better from an efficiency standpoint, from a three-point shooting standpoint, um, from a you know, the turnovers, the defense, all this all the regular stuff that you can talk about with Trey needing to improve, I think can still improve. But, you know, he's always gonna give you a really high offensive floor, and I think that's been the case this year. They have a 118 and a half offensive rating, or sorry, 118 offensive rating. With him on the floor and a sub 100 offensive rating with him off um so i mean that that kind (laughs) of wraps up his value in in one stat there um and and you know like that's going back to the theory of this team being an offensive team that's you know that obviously kind of revolves around trey and what he's able to do with the ball in his hands
0: yeah it's it's interesting because like I think if you took a just a blind poll of even diehard NBA fans a week or two a week or two ago and said you know is Trey Young on track to be all all NBA this year it would it would have been a resounding no for most people Um, just just on like perception more than anything else like and yes he's been better recently I'm not gonna say he hasn't because he's been I think pretty much fantastic for like the last ten days like he was lights out Friday he was really good on Saturday he was kind of the only guy that was good on Saturday in a lot of ways um, in the loss to the Knicks but yeah he's playing really well and. You know, I, I feel like I'm guilty of this. I don't spend as much time talking about Trey because it's kind of just implied. I'm sure you ran into this too when you covered the team every day. It's like, all right, how many times can I write about Trey Young being, being good? It's yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so there are other things that are, that are like more nerdy to talk about than the uh, the superstar being a superstar, but it does matter quite a bit, obviously.
1: Yeah, I ended up when on my season covering the team. I ended up uh, linking back to my own work quite a bit when talking about Trey Young, sort of doing the, as we've discussed before, and, you know, linking, <laughs> if you want to read more about this, I've already covered it a million times, uh, which, you know, that's, uh, he's kind of at that point, he's just really consistent offensively. He's really good. I think another important thing to note is that his true shooting percentage right now is basically where it was last season. It's slightly down like a a hundredth of a percentage point. Um, But I think an important thing to consider there is that the league average true shooting percentage is down by about two points, two and a half percentage points yep. so for him to maintain his efficiency from last season despite the drop in free throws despite the way the rule changes have affected him I think that sort of speaks to the way he's improved the rest of his overall game and and just the ability he has to kind of find ways to be good no matter how the game's being officiated no matter how he's doing it like I think that that ability to maintain his efficiency in the lowered offensive environment and despite the fact that he was one of the I think one of the The biggest victims of these rule changes i think that kind of speaks to the kind of season he's had outside of his foul drawing
0: yeah i think that's a great point because you know his the the league environment is like a whole other hour-long discussion but defense is definitely you know ahead of the offense right now offense of the, the the environment's just down offensively and um i was even saying this yesterday it's like the hawks have actually been a little bit better defensively on a per possession basis by the numbers, but their but their league ranking is like considerably worse this year. It's because you, you have to adjust. It's the, you know, the shots aren't going in the same way they were, and true shooting is a good, a good sort of encapsulation of that because Trey's um, EFG is actually up about three and a half points from last year, yeah. and that's kind of how you you know he's right now a career high in field goal percentage and three point percentage. And two point percentage. So like basically everything except free throw volume, he's better at in terms of his shooting right now. It's a small sample size, but uh, yeah, he's pretty good. And
1: you know, while we're at it, career high in free throw percentage. So he's capitalizing on the yeah on he, the
0: missed, he missed he missed two in a row the free other free. night and it was like weird because you know, I was like oh try yeah you, you don't miss free throws anymore. Um, obviously we talked about him a lot, but uh, it's worth getting into. Well, uh, I, I, I
1: wanted to ask you one more thing about yeah, him. The three please. point percentage. I didn't realize this until I just now looked it up. He's shooting over thirty nine percent from three, like you said, a career high. Do you think? Because he always seems like I've always thought he's kind of a better shooter than the percentages indicate. Not only because he takes a lot of hard shots, you know, kind of the Damian Lillard corollary there, but I just think like he he is, especially given his age. I've always thought of him as a guy that's going to improve and kind of level out around a thirty seven or thirty eight percent three point percentage. Um, and this year he's around thirty nine. I don't know if that high high of a mark is sustainable or not but do you think that he's a materially better shooter this year
0: particularly as a pull-up three-point shooter? I mean, I think it's possible. I would hold off on saying it so far just because, you know, he started out, he started out cold and I believe he's shooting 42% in November um from 3, which is probably just above where he's, you know, actually at in terms of his not because of his talent level because because of what you said with the difficulty and he's still taking some long ones he's taking fewer than he was two years ago still but more than last year and he's trying to find that sweet spot you know i've always argued that he probably should shoot more threes and that yeah. means that you know three point percentage wise it may not always be the highest you know the lower comparison makes sense there and that everyone agrees that lillard's been an elite shooter for a long time but he's not a guy that shoots 40 percent from three he shoots that 38 percent 37 percent and it's on huge volume so nobody cares and that's kind of what you hope trey will be like if you made me choose the over under on where he is now um i would take the under on that um just because of the shot diet but that's not an indictment of trey i think he's probably capable of shooting better than he has the last two years like last year he shot 34 percent from three for the season. I think he's I think he's better than that. I, I do even even on, even 82. on the shot diet that he has. So we'll see where the truth where the true level actually is. And you know under Nate in particular, I do think that he's been reined in just a touch, uh, almost too much at sometimes. But I think that you know he's and even coming into this year, he talked about this a lot. Like he kind of almost wanted to lean into the mid range more, which you know I kind of cringe by. But he is good enough to do it and do it efficiently. Like uh, he's that good of a shooter from 18 feet to where if he's open it's a shot you'll take because he's good. He's good enough to make it. So I don't know. It's nuanced.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing that's impressed me about him is his ability to create space in the mid range. Cause I always thought of him as a guy who was never really going to be that kind of guy just because of his size, you know, someone who can, who can hit a turnaround jumper, you know, create separation out of an isolation from 17 feet, because most guys that size, they're either doing it with a pull-up three or a floater, getting to the rim, using more of their guile rather. and, And you typically don't, like guile is not necessarily something that helps you as a mid-range shooter, but Trey's been able, he's taking 70% of his shots from long mid-range, making 53% of them. Like I've been impressed with the way he's gotten his shot off and the success with which he's made them from mid-range this year. And I just pulled it up, he's shooting 40% on almost six three a pull-up threes per game. So again, maybe not quite as high a mark as, you know, is kind of the quote unquote actual percentage that that he is as a shooter. Um, but I, I still think, you know, that's 40% on pull-up threes is obviously really good. And the more he can establish that as something the defense has to respect, I think the more that opens up the rest of the game, not only for him, but for the other guys on the floor.
0: Yeah, I said that thing at the end, because I think one of the biggest things about his mid-range shooting, you know, beyond his own, his own skill level, is that he's at a point now, not that he already wasn't, but even the last year with the playoff run and all that stuff where he's being – encouraged to shoot those mid-rangers and people are overplaying him in both directions like people are scared of his floater they're scared of his three, three-point shooting and obviously his passing so that kind of allows him even more wiggle room that he can create still but um to get those shots off and kind of be a three-level scorer in, in the truest sense um before we get to uh, a couple more things to talk about the rest of the east i do want to ask you about the east i work from our sponsors on the show today Football season continues, and the March to the playoffs is here, and BetOnline has you covered all season long for more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Online remains your number one spot for all of the sports action this season, and you can head to our new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash and a welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON to receive that welcome bonus from BetOnline.ag. With basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, in addition to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer, and all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports, and one more time, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On to receive that bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Alright, Ben, before I get to the rest of the East, we sort of talked around the injuries on the wing. Um... I know you're not in the weeds watching a uh, TLC tape right now necessarily, um, but uh, I have to ask you, just as a thought experiment, what you think the Hawks sh- should potentially try to do uh, to paper over these three injuries. You know, Reddish could be, could be back sooner rather than later, which is obviously a positive. But um, provided I told you that the Hawks were without three of their best four wings, um, and this is more of a philosophical thing than anything else, like would you kind of go with the plug and play? Lead on your defense um, options, which are basically Solomon Hill and TLC. Would you rather go with like more Lou Williams? Um, maybe try to you know outscore teams. Um, I, someone floated the, the the major league big option because McMillan used that Jomo lineup in the playoffs when they played Gallo at the three. There are all kinds of options. None of them are great, but uh, do you have like a, a and I say like a, I guess like an archetype for what you would try to do to bridge this couple weeks of uh, of Madison the wing.
1: Oh, not really. It, it's it makes me, it makes me glad I'm not in Nate McMillan's position. The thing I would say is I would say play Kevin Herter more. Me too. You're, <laughs> you're already playing Kevin Herter more because he's filling in for DeAndre Hunter. So that, that's, yeah, led, done that
0: yeah. I think he played 38 minutes on Saturday and I, I I've said this a, a few times, but Herter actually led the team in minutes last year, total minutes for the season. He was number one, even ahead of Trey. Part of that was because he got, he played most of the year, but uh, he's going to maybe average like 36 minutes a game for the next two weeks. I feel like, <laughs> cause they just kind of have to.
1: Yeah. And I think he was near the top of that leaderboard the, the prior year as well. Like he was, once he got healthy, he was consistently, even when Lloyd Pierce was the coach, consistently one of the guys that was up in the mid to high thirties um, in those, in those high minute games when they would press the starters. So I, I feel like they have they're already kind of maxing out Herder and what he can do. Reddish was was also kind of the the logical fill in for Hunter, but now he's on the shelf. Um, so, and Bogdanovich, obviously, kind of your your hybrid backup point guard, starting two guards, small ball three, you know, sort of jack of all trades on the wing. But you know, now he's out. So it's there's really all of the guys that you would figure, oh, he, you know, this guy could replace this guy if just one of them were injured, or you know, all the different kind of combinations you could go with there. A lot of them were taken away because three of your four wings. In the rotation are now out you just don't have them for however amount of time that they're not going to have them so i guess it's more tlc I, I guess you might give solomon hill a try maybe you call jalen johnson up from the g league and give him a shot although he seems like more of a kind of a straight four right now not necessarily a guy who's going to play on the wing yep you know the big lineup with Gallo, but at age 33 and he looks pretty slow um can you really get away
0: with playing him at the three can't, so can can't confirm by the way gallo uh i love gallo he is not looking fleet of foot at age 33 yeah so.
1: and, and the other thing if you talk about the, the double big lineups and Kongwu is not back yet either so he's that's kind of another arrow in the double big quiver that you don't have available so you you know because if you play a, a double big lineup to slide a power forward to the three you know you need to fill in that spot with a four slash five type of guy but now one of those guys is out of the rotation so there really are no good answers here i guess is is kind of what i'm saying um i wish i could i could give you no, that that is that. the right really that tough. is the
0: right answer i promise you ben that, that is the right answer there, there are no great answers but i figured at least ask you uh hypothetically um because yeah I mean, i've talked about it a lot i probably still will and we'll, we'll sort of adjust with what nate does on wednesday i don't want to i don't want to put too Much on that game because it's just one game, but it will tell us a little bit about their plan. Um, at least unless there's like weird foul trouble or something like that. And I think, as always, my hunch is that Solomon Hill will be involved. Um, all right, let's talk about the East for a second because uh, it's part of why I uh asked you to come on. Um, you know, I have not talked about the East a ton so far. We're at the quarter mark basically of the season, and the standings are a little bit weird. Which makes this even more interesting because there was that you know, kind of like that consensus at the top of the East coming in where it was you know kind of two team tier with Milwaukee and Brooklyn for most people, and then you get into that group with the Hawks and the Heat, um, and the Sixers. Uh, mostly those three teams in my mind anyway were kind of the next three. Uh, maybe maybe Boston, Brooklyn in there. People like the Knicks, etc. Um, it's kind of been super weird so far between Milwaukee being banged up, although they're hot right now. Um, Brooklyn has not been. Brooklyn and the way that you thought, but they're also leading the East as we record this, um, even with their offense kind of not always firing so far. Miami's been impressive on some level. The Hawks are kind of in the middle, and Philly's been, you know, without Simmons and Embiid missing half the games with COVID, and it's all very strange right now, Ben, so I'm going to ask you to kind of like sort this out for me because I, I don't really know what to make of the East, and I kind of just like defaulting my, to my priors, and that's kind of dangerous, but I feel like it's kind of what I have to do still. You no, know, That's what I'm doing too, mostly because there's nothing –
1: Brooklyn is maybe a different category, but at least for Milwaukee, because I think they're kind of the kind of the mystery here, because like you said, they haven't been healthy. Brooke Lopez has played one game and it was the first game of the season. Um, you know, Giannis has obviously been incredible, but Middleton and Holiday have been out of the lineup. Dante DiVincenzo has yet to play. He'll presumably come back at some point. So, I mean, it's hard to knock Milwaukee for being 13 and eight with a, by the way, a better net rating than Brooklyn at plus 5.1 just behind Miami for second in the East. It's hard to knock them for that kind of, you know, I guess you'd call that an underwhelming start to the year just on its face, but you go deeper and and really that's probably even better than I would expect them to be. If you told me that all those guys were going to be injured and they'd have this kind of injury luck. So with them, I am kind of sticking to my prior and I'm, I'm considering them probably the favorite in the East right now. And part of that, too, is because I have not been convinced by Brooklyn and I know they're 14 and six and they have a decidedly positive net rating and they've statistically they've been fine, but I have yet to watch a Brooklyn Nets game this year and feel convinced by what I'm seeing. I've yet to to tune into them and, and think, yes, this is a championship, like a bona fide high end championship contender. Something just feels off and Harden is starting to find his footing and he's looking better and that's helping the team. They're up to ninth in offense after a pretty tough start. But you know part of it, too, is KD is playing out of his mind. And still, the Nets are not an elite offense right now. Kyrie Irving does not seem to be coming back at any time in the future. They're relying on a, a stable of washed-up veteran centers to provide rim protection um, and floor spacing, for that matter. You know I like Patty Mills. I like Joe Harris. I like some of the role players, DeAndre Bembry, old friend. Um, but you know, those guys are, are a little kind of spotty with their production. And so again, it's just, I, every time I watch them, I just don't feel, I don't feel persuaded by the case that they're making. And and you could argue, Hey, it's the regular season. If any team is sort of in position to take it easy in the regular season and not try it's the Brooklyn nets because of like the disposition of their stars and just the way the team is constructed and all of that. But still, I, I, I just am kind of harboring these you know, this skepticism about Brooklyn. I think the team that, that has kind of convinced me is Chicago. And I think, I think they are certainly better than I expected them to be coming into the year, how good they really are, how real their defense is, you know, we'll have to see, but I think certainly they're, they're at least in the, in a class with the Hawks and with uh, the, the heat and kind of those other teams that we figured would be in that middle to high end of the conference coming into the season. I think they've established themselves kind of in that mix. And then the teams we're waiting on are sort of the Hawks, the Celtics, the Sixers, once they get healthy, to kind of see what kind of, you know, how they're going to rise or fall in the standings once they're healthy and whole. But again, we just haven't seen that for most of these teams. And so I think Miami's really been the beneficiary there, where they've just kind of been able to, to stroll along and they've played really well, but they've also been really healthy. They've also, you know, caught fewer injuries than most of these teams, and just sort of had an easier go of it from a continuity standpoint. So while I'm somewhat convinced by Miami's start, and I think they're a good team, are they as good as they've looked in relation to some of these other Eastern Conference teams? I'm not sure. I would need to see that kind of play out at full strength before I can buy into um, or sell on any of these teams That and what we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's interesting with Miami in that, you know, I will say this, Tyler Hero has been much better than I expected him to be. I've never been the biggest ER guy, but he's been awesome this year. Um, And Butler's been awesome, too, and that really helps. And I I know they're giving him a night off on on Monday, and they'll manage him a little bit. But um, my concern with them more than anything else coming into the year was their lack of depth, and that's still the case. They just have been so awesome when the guys have played that hasn't really mattered. But if they get an injury or two, then that's where you get sort of the dangerous situations with Miami. I mean, I want to dig into Chicago a little bit more because I just cannot, for the life of me, I don't know. It, I can't make sense of the Bulls being a top-five defense right now. Um, like, with with DeMar, De, with DeMar DeRozan on the floor this year, they have a sub-100 defensive rating. That doesn't make sense to me, Ben. i got to be honest with you. It's breaking my brain a little bit. I've watched them. They have been better than I expected, and I think that's real to some extent. Like, they're not going to be terrible defensively the way that I thought they might be. But I still have a hard time thinking that this is even going to approximately keep up just because of the personnel that they have. Yes, they have these awesome guards you know, Lonzo and Caruso are wrecking havoc and that's, that's actually a lot of fun. But is that enough? Like is point of, is point of attack defense going to be enough to like paper over Vooch and DeRozan all season long. And you know, Levine's been better too, but they're actually about league average uh, defensively with Levine on the floor. And I think they're actually kind of almost dead, even with net from net, uh, net ranking standpoint with the on off with him too. So I don't know what to make of the bulls. I, I know everybody's kind of in now, Maybe I'm just going to lean too hard on the preseason, but I got to see more, I think. I don't, I'm sure that's not popular, but I just I can't get there yet. Maybe I should. No, I'm with you.
1: And part of that is because I think the two guys you'd point to as being the reasons for their defensive success, Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, who are amazing on the wing and, and they, the pressure they provide on the ball and the way they get over screens, and even as help defenders from the weak side, they have a lot of impact when you watch them. But, you know, even those guys they're roughly, they're, they're slightly better with them on the floor defensively. Like each of those guys, the team is about a point per 100 possessions better defensively with them on the floor compared to with them off. So it's not, even they are not having this this massive impact. They're not driving the success the way you might su- suspect if you just watch the team. It is, I mean, if just statistically, and this is, of course, why there must always be nuance and context to these statistics, <laughs> because statistically, DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic are the two guys <laughs> by the on off numbers that are driving their defensive success. And well, like then. <laughs> you, I guess that settles it, you know, I guess, yeah. I guess you put them on the all defense team and you call it a day. Uh, but uh, you know, like you, I'm skeptical that they are really that impactful of defenders partly because opponents are shooting 33% from three with DeRozan on the floor and about 43% from three with him off the floor. So there is some shooting luck, you know, some significant shooting luck, going on with him on the court opponents are also shooting much worse at the rim with him on the floor that's not necessarily something that he's affecting on a play-by-play basis so I think a lot of this is just the Bulls are getting lucky when DeMar DeRozan is on the floor and kind of unlucky when he's off the floor I don't know how that eventually balances out um, you know and how that affects kind of the, the performance of each individual defender in these you know on off metrics or whatever but Yeah, like you, I'm just having kind of a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I think most of the statistical indicators would say they're probably not a top 10 defense. They're probably not as good as they've been so far. But I also think we've seen enough from Ball, Caruso, you know, just the guys in the rotation. Even DeRozan, I think, has been better. This is a competent defensive team. This is not a bottom of the league, has no idea what they're doing type of defense. And Billy Donovan has a track record. I don't think he's ever had a below average defense as an NBA coach. And that's, you know, five, six years of evidence we have there. So I think there are reasons to believe that this could be a fine defense, you know, not a, I'll put it this way. I think there are reasons to believe this could be a better defense than the personnel would indicate, but the personnel is so bad that I still think that probably precludes them from being a top 10 defense.
0: Yeah. And the offense is interesting for sure. And I don't go too, too far down the, the bulls rabbit hole, but I, they're in a, a team I've really been interested in and will continue to be interested in. I just want to see where it all lands. But, I mean, I'm still with you on Milwaukee. I, I will say, they need Brook Lopez. So, I don't know what's going on with Brook Lopez. Um, but, I, I'm a little worried. Because he, he hasn't played in a while. And, uh, they need him. I know they have Giannis. And, Giannis is a destroyer of all worlds. And, they've gotten some better depth this year. Guys like Grayson Allen have done have done some stuff to help them. But, Uh, To be what they need to be, they kind of need Brook Lopez. And uh, that's a guy that um, we've not seen in more than a month. So I assume he'll come back (laughs) at some point. But it's kind of like Philly with like, it's obviously a little bit different with Philly because of the Simmons carrot hanging out there. But uh, we don't know what Philly's going to look like at the post-All-Star break. Uh, I want to know what Milwaukee looks like, and that means having Brook Lopez.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, like you said, they've kind of been obfuscating – the exact status of him right now. Like I said earlier, he's only played one game and you know, we just have not seen him yet. So I guess the bright side, if you're a Bucs fan, is that this is really helping Giannis's MVP and defensive player of the year candidacy. But I think the the Bucs probably have bigger concerns than that, but and Giannis for that matter, have bigger concerns than uh, the individual hardware that he might pick up this season. And, and I agree with you, like, you know, like you said, They do need him to kind of get where they want to go, even if he's not closing games for them in the playoffs or the regular season, even if he's not, you know, a a more than like 24 minutes a game type of guy. Just as someone who allows you to not have to play Giannis at center all the time and just spares, you know, it's sort of, the the, since they just won the World Series, I'll make a a Braves analogy here. They they need Brooke Lopez sort of in the way the Braves needed Jesse Chavez out of the bullpen, you know, because you (laughs) can't throw Matzik every game. You, You just can't do it.
0: Oh, that's a delightful analogy. Well done. Um, No, it's it's interesting. I mean, I still would pick Milwaukee uh, to win the East right now. I think there are teams that can that can win the East. I think the Hawks are among them. Um, And that'll be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, there are lots of teams, too, that might have a trade to make if they want to make one. You know, Philly is the most obvious of them. Um, but Brooklyn just lost Joe Harris for a while. That's going to be interesting for them to see if they go out and get somebody. Um, they have a weird, weird, weird roster right now. It's plus Kyrie. Is that what's happening there? Who knows? Um, Philly. But even the Hawks, like, if they needed to, if they were struggling, they could go out and make a trade. They, they're they capable of doing that. They have the, um, the pieces to do it, and they have the picks and young players, et cetera. So i guess i shouldn't ignore washington who's currently 13 and seven i was just a- gonna say they're
1: the one team that we have not even mentioned yet
0: i mean i, I I'm, I'm ignoring them to be honest they're uh, uh, i'm not sold they're, they're, they're kind of like
1: the bulls they're better than i thought but yeah. how good are they and, and i they're think fine. they're i think the bulls are still better than them but they're they're sort of the poor man's bulls
0: i i totally agree i think the bulls i can at least believe it um, from a talent standpoint you know washington i think is a competent team um, they've done a good job with a bunch of solid bets and Beal's obviously really good, but, um, I just don't believe in them as like an actual, like top four contender. Um, same with Charlotte, honestly, I, I don't think Charlotte's defense is just, it's just so bad. <laughs> I can't, yeah, oh, I, I just can't imagine them being, uh, good enough to win 50 games with this defense. Um, they're, they're fun. I like to watch them, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of a piece or two away. I think so. Um, not to another, I mean, I, I guess Boston too, but. I, I never saw it with Boston this year, to be honest. So, and I still don't, because their offense is just not good enough. I mean, I, they kind of need Tatum to be awesome, and uh, not sure if that's going to happen. So,
1: and certainly hasn't happened so far. He was nope. like I said earlier. I was doing some kind of all NBA cursory research. I was shocked by by what I found on Jason Tatum and what it's he's bad. done this year. It's it's not been good. No. Nope. Let me ask you though. If we're saying that the the Eastern Conference, that the range of teams that could win the East goes from you know, Brooklyn and Milwaukee at the top, all the way down to a team like the Hawks, if it includes those teams, how many teams do you think are in that group of teams you could realistically see coming out of the East? Um,
0: For me, I still think it's five. And um, I think the Hawks and Sixers are the two teams. And Philly, I think, needs to do something with Ben Simmons to to, Mm -hmm. to actually win the East. I think they're not good enough right now, but clearly they have a piece that could be moved at any, at any moment to make their team better. Um, and we also just haven't seen them. Like they actually were playing super well before Embiid went down with COVID, so that's kind of like ruined all of their season long numbers. But before he was before he was uh, out, they were playing very well even without Simmons. But I think it's I think it's just Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami, Atlanta, and Philly for me. I, I can't get there with Chicago. If there's one more team that could get there, it's Chicago. Um, but I would still leave them uh six right now but that I think I expressed this earlier but I'm just a little bit skeptical of them um but I always see I can only see the talent level with them in a way that I can't with Washington or Boston or you know pick other team Charlotte, or whatever you want to say with there so I think I think it's like kind of a top top five Chicago ish and then a couple of other teams from there
1: I'm with you Boston I think is out of that group Chicago is right on the borderline frankly I think the Hawks are on the borderline right now they're a little like feel. I don't know that they need to add someone, but they they do need to get guys back certainly. Oh yes. And I think they probably need to show another gear between now and the playoffs, which they obviously have time to do. Um. Yeah. Chicago. Chicago just feels like a team that could be really prone to bad matchups. You know, if they run into the Bucks, what do they do against the Bucks? How like, how, how do they guard Giannis? You know, like Pray. what is that? What is that game plan? I mean, they know? don't
0: have. They don't. I mean, this is the thing about Patrick Williams being injured is that. You know, he, they're, pretty, they're putting a lot on him anyway for a guy who was not probably ready for that. But if you look at their roster, they, they really don't have anyone in that, like, wing... I mean, it's not even stopper, but, like, capable wing defender role. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't have anybody that can really... I mean, DeMar DeRozan is not a good defensive player, and he is their primary, you know, wing um, guy. And he's been playing great this year, but you can't have him guard... Giannis, you can't have him guard Kevin Durant in a playoff series. Like, what are you going to do? I, I don't really know what their answer even is going to be. Like, is it Javante Green? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's very strange. Yeah, the
1: upside, I guess, is that Caruso and Ball both kind of have size. They I mean, sure. each of them guarded Julius Randle the other night, which is obviously a different challenge than guarding a you know, like an elite superstar. But they at least have some kind of size. I just were like, right now, their backup center is Derek Jones Jr. He's like their full time backup center. It's not a. Honestly, like he's, he's, be-
0: he's, the, he's their best wing defender on the roster, right? Yeah,
1: now. he probably is, but he's also their backup five. I mean, it just this is such a weirdly constructed team, and it makes them really fun to watch. And I think it it gives them a lot of uh, just kind of interesting curveballs to throw in the regular season. But I also think when they need to reach for that different look that they might need in the playoff series, they may just not have it. And And maybe you could say that about a lot of teams in the East, but... I think Chicago in particular seems susceptible to the wrong matchup that could really, I mean, even in a first round series could really kind of doom them if they just don't have the personnel to match up with whatever team they run into.
0: Yeah. I think we're on the same page. Uh, you're definitely going to get some, uh, going to get some tweets that you'll never see. Cause you never, you never check Twitter about, uh, you're putting the Hawks on the, uh, kind of on the outside of, the, of that. Yeah. I, 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 noticed well, that. I, I don't think you're I've saying. been on
1: Twitter in over a week. So I, I know you never
0: get on there, which is why it's not going to be a big deal if you actually, if that <laughs> happens to you, but, uh, don't check your mentions. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, I guess I'm probably not kidding. But uh, someone will, will be mad at us for that. But that's fine. I, I had the Hawks in there, just for the record. I had the Hawks in there. I said it out loud. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll take that one. Yell at me. Don't they're not as good as Milwaukee. That's 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 my, my hottest take. Is that the Bucks are still better than the Hawks? Uh, yes. Apologies, apologies everybody. Um, at any rate, uh, Ben, if there's anything that we've like not talked touched on that you want to get to, please uh, feel free to throw it out there. And if not, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I'd like you to plug all of your wonderful musings.
1: Well, the only thing that I think we didn't touch on was John Collins. I just, I think he's been really good. That's about he's all the only thoughts I have on him. Awesome. Yeah. Um,
0: well, real I, quickly. I, I, I I've his... been like overflowing, by the way, on, on Collins this year. I, I feel like I'm almost going too far, but I'm also not like how good he's been. And it's not, it's kind of funny because I'm pushing hard because he, ha- he doesn't have the counting stats. You know, two years ago, whatever, I think he averaged 21 and 10 for the season. And he's a much better player now than he was then. And he's yes. averaging like 17 and nine. And like. I know because i watch him every game but like he is playing so well like full full court game you know full everything basically his passing's the best it's ever been defense best it's ever been he's just uh he's so good man
1: yeah i i've really come to enjoy watching him just how hard he plays like oh, yeah. there were times during that 20 win season that you and i both covered the team <laughs> just did not have it and collins was like the only guy playing hard and actually you know, going hard for rebounds. and
0: He has one speed, man. You know. He has, and, that, and that's the yeah. thing. Like, I worry about him sometimes, like in blowouts or uh, situations where I don't want him to go so hard. Like, he'll go, like, try to jump, jump over somebody in the fourth quarter of a 15-point game, and it's like, John, don't do that, man. You're, you're going to get hurt. But it's also just him. Like, he just, that's what he does. He flies around. Yeah, he's a joy. And I think he's at,
1: like, 64% true shooting on the year or something. Just, Honestly, just I think really that's where he
0: is out. for, like, the last three seasons combined. It's absolutely yeah. absurd. Like, he might be the best finisher in the league.
1: <laughs> like, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think he's one of the best offensive bigs. Like once you oh, get yeah. outside the Jokic and Bead, like obvious on ball centerpiece type guys, he's, I mean, he's on that short list of next guys.
0: Yeah, the way that I would describe it is, like, yeah, maybe like Zion, the way he was playing last year, like, maybe yeah. he would be on the level of, of, ahead of him. But, like, you could say pretty convincingly that he is one of the best play finishers in the league, if nothing else. And he's gotten so much better as a passer. Like, he's not going to be – he's not Jokic, but he can he can run a short roll now in the way that he wasn't before. And he's, he's got his head up. And defensively, he's come, he's come such, such a long way. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it, but he was so bad in college and he was so not good as a rookie uh, defensively. And now he's like a legitimate positive, And it's a, uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch that like slow, but also interesting progress. And like, he's just a complete player. Like he doesn't really do anything poorly anymore, which is interesting. Yeah. I'm
1: glad to hear that kind of lines up with what I've seen, which is obviously less than what you've, I'm glad to hear the, the actual season long. Uh, he's been great information kind of <laughs> matches so up good. with
0: what I've seen. Oh yeah. I can vouch. He's been awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been yeah. Impressive. That's, that's
1: about all I've got. Uh, I'll I'll say people wanna listen to me speak more than they already have. You can listen to the Read and React NBA podcast. That's you know sort of weekly, bi-weekly, just as often as we can. Uh, John Sauber and I host that, kind of discussing the entire league in about the level of depth we have today on the Hawks and on the East. So if you want more of that type of discussion, you can check out Read and React. You can also read my work covering the NBA at the Step Back. Um, just sort of general NBA kind of, I guess you could call them niche NBA musings, kind of going <laughs> going deep on specific topics around the NBA. Um, so if you're interested in that,
0: check that out too. And that's about all I've got. Ben, it was a pleasure as always. Uh, I picked my spots, at least I try to, because you're a busy man with other things to do. And I listened to the other podcast and uh, all of that, but uh, I will certainly ask you to come on again because it's always fun. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again after the game on Wednesday, and we'll see you next time.